We're going to be beginning in verse 11. And just to keep some continuity uh, from sermon to sermon as we're working through the book of Luke, just a reminder uh, that just before our passage here, that Jesus healed the servants of a Roman centurion who, if you remember, was, saw himself as, as unworthy despite his, his friends saying otherwise. Uh, and so Jesus displayed this great mercy and this grace to both the centurion and to his servant who was sick uh, to the point of death. And then the passage ended, ended with Jesus just marveling at the faith of the centurion. And so our, our passage today is, is going to move south from that point, which was in Capernaum. Uh, it's going to move south 25 miles just outside the gate of a city called Nain. Uh, and we're just going to jump in and, and read this passage, and, and then we'll see what the Lord has to teach us today. So uh, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And he grew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and death's not an easy topic. We who know it's our great enemy, um, we don't enjoy it. And yet, from a commitment to preaching the whole counsel of God, Lord, we know that your counsel has led us to this passage today. And so we come with an expectation that you will teach us something of your mighty power over this great enemy who is ultimately defeated by our Lord at the cross. Please enlighten our minds to understand and soften our hearts to absorb your word this morning. In the name of the great victor, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, all sorrow is a reminder that we live in a fallen world. And death is certainly the king of sorrows. And the death of a child is an unbearably painful event. It's unnatural. It's out of order. Even even by our own expectations of what we've come to expect of death, it's, it's just out of order. It's too easy to see the potential and the the future that is lost when a, a parent must bury their child. And yet that's what happens in our story today. This is the passage that, that we'll get the... Now, now as this, we come to this passage, I think we're going to get the most out of it if we allow ourselves to actually be present in the moment. Because too easy, we just want to skim over these sort of things. And, and I suggest we do this by using our God-given imagination. And so I, I want us to do something a little different today. Something some of you might even think is a little weird. Um, I, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. We're going to try to picture this. 
So for real, I won't mess with you if you fall asleep, we'll wake you up. Just close your eyes for a minute. Start to picture this scene. You can see a wide path, a, a footpath, sort of like a worn down dirt road leading up to a gate. Imagine you're, you're traveling with Jesus and his disciples and you're, you're walking towards the city and, and you see from a distance coming out of that gate this, this long procession of people. And this is first century Israel, so the dead were always buried outside the city, usually just before sunset at the same day of their death. And so the sun is beginning to, to come to, the, to its end for the day. Keep picturing this. N- near the front of the procession, Four men carry a board, shoulder height, with the dead body of their friend upon it, wrapped in cloth. They're headed towards the family's burial plot, a a small cave, where his body is to be placed alongside the bones of his own father. Behind the body is a considerable crowd of mourners, faces staring at the ground, the occasional wailing that comes out loudly. As was the custom, there's at least two flute players along with them playing a a dirge, a a sad melody as they move closer and closer to the grave. And at the front of all those mourners, in the very front, even of the body, is a woman, the dead man's mother. Her eyes are filled with tears. They run down her cheeks. Her heart is crushed with sorrow. This was her only son. So keep that scene in your mind. Go ahead and open your eyes now. And so this woman, by her title of widow, we already know she's already been through something similar to this before. She's already lost her husband through death. And, and now she's experiencing again. She's experiencing uh, the, the, the pain of sin existing in the creation. The pain of losing her own son, a pain that God the Father would later experience himself because of sin. Now, I want us to see, I want us to know that this is what sin has brought into the world. I don't know if we think of sin this way all the time. Right? Sin has many forms that may entice us, that seem desirable right? at times. But, but let us never, ever, ever forget that death and sorrow is what sin has ushered into our world. Romans 5.12 tells us, Just as sin came in the world through one man, and death through sin. Death through sin. I mean, you, you really get that? Sin is the root from which every evil in our world has grown. Don't ever forget that. I mean, this includes injustices, war, divorce, racism, abortion, domestic abuse, exploitation, leukemia, and of course, the worst of all, it includes death. The reality is, is before sin entered into the creation, there was absolutely no need for hospitals, no need for a cemetery. And as God's people, we should probably have a greater hatred for sin than we do. So now in our day, we, we still see these sort of processions, don't we? They're, they're not on foot. They're not at city gates. But we, we see them around town from time to time. A, a long line of cars that are led by a hearse. See, death is this common sorrow experienced by all people in all cultures and uh, throughout all time. And this widow here, 
that we're learning about, her, her pain is, is really just beginning. This is the day of her son's death. She's going to wake up tomorrow and find herself all alone, brokenhearted. And on top of that, uh, uh, the way things would work, because she was a widow, her son was going to be the means for her financial support. Probably was. It's going to leave her uncertain as to how she's going to be provided for, which is only going to add to the pain and the, uh, and the stress that she's now feeling. This is the situation that our Lord looks upon as he approaches this woman. I want you to look at verse 13. What's it tell us? What's it say there? Look at it. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. See, our Lord was moved emotionally towards her. That, that word compassion there is an interesting word. It's a, it's a, uh, there's a number of Greek words that are just difficult to, to translate. In this case, it's a difficult one to translate because we don't really have an English equivalent to it. Every once in a while, you'll hear someone say that there, there's you know, words in other languages that there's just not an English equivalent, really. And, and we don't have one uh, because it carries this, this idea, right? There's no word that carries the same idea of this, like, nausea inducing sorrow that Jesus felt for her. And, and so compassion's the, the best we can do in English. But the word has this idea with it, the idea of someone's guts just bursting out. And I know that's a disgusting idea, uh, but it gives you an idea of, of what's going on here. In fact, it, it might be better understood if we said Jesus had gut-wrenching compassion on her. It's not just, oh, I feel sorry for her, but he's moved. Jesus sees her pain and, and nobody asks him to help, but he's filled with compassion and he decides to help her. It has nothing to do with her faith and it has everything to do with, with Jesus' loving kindness to this woman in need. So listen, Jesus is not merely a model for us to follow, right? A lot of people will just say he's a good man, we follow his example, and that's it. He's not merely a model for us to follow. He, he's our Savior because we haven't lived a holy life, and we're incapable of living a perfectly holy life. And so he's much more than an example, but he is also an example for how we should live. In 1 John 2.6, it teaches us there, it says that all Christians, uh, it teaches by saying that all Christians are uh, we ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. There's an encouragement towards that. And here in our passage today, we see that Jesus walked with compassion, and he did so without being asked. Uh, you know, he walks right into suffering, towards suffering. Something for us to, to learn here. You, you, you and I may need to learn how to go towards people who are suffering. And I, I understand there's this selfish desire at times, if we, if we really get to the heart of it, that, that makes us want to step out of that because it, it's not fun to walk through people's pain with them, not fun to walk through suffering. And yet we've got to learn to walk towards it, sort of like the first responders at Ground Zero on September 11th, right? Going into the pain when everyone else is running from the pain. Now we won't be able to help people in the same way that Jesus helps here, but we can bring about comfort, right? The comfort of our presence, and we, we can bring the hope of Christ and the hope of the gospel to people. So I just encourage you to be aware of those who are suffering around you. Be aware of it. It's happening more than you realize. People with chronic illness or, or grieving the loss of someone through death or financial suffering or, uh, or the pain of a strained marriage or a broken relationship. 
Be aware of it. Now, I, I love the way that we see through the Gospel of Luke, the Gospels in general, the way that Jesus is always caring for women in need in these Gospels, and we see that again in our passage today. Here in the midst of this tragedy, this, this, this widow comes into the presence of Christ. She doesn't even know what's happening, and yet it changes everything in her life. And Jesus says to her, do not weep. Now, now we got to be careful there because we, we want to bring our own cultural use of this kind of phrase into this. Now, he, he's not telling her to suppress her, her emotions, right? This isn't some, some British have a stiff upper lip kind of sense. Right? He's not saying, you know, woman, pull yourself together. It's not something like that. He's, hey, that's not what's going on. And Jesus tells her not to weep because he's about to do something that's going to transform her sorrow into joy. He's going to actually do something. That's what he's getting at in that phrase. Now, now you and I, we should let people weep. Weep. We should come alongside people and weep with them because we can't raise the death dead. We're incapable of that. And it's good to cry when we're in emotional pain. It's good to cry. But, but Jesus is, is going to take away her sorrow. And he, so he tells this dear woman, do not weep. And then he walks past her right up to the bier, which was behind her, right? The, the men carrying this, this body uh, that's on this board and the young man upon it. And he touches it. And the men who are carrying it, I suppose, must have still been moving in some regard because they just stop in their tracks. See, Israel's ceremonial law states, uh, Numbers 5.2 and a number of other places, that, that anyone who makes contact with a, a dead body, they're going to be ceremonially unclean for a period of time. That, that might be why Luke records this little detail, that, that the men carrying the body just, just stop in their tracks right there. You know, they, they're just looking at Jesus and thinking, Mister, we don't know who you are, but... We know that you're unclean now. Why in the world did you just touch this beer? Why did you touch this body? They may also just be wondering, what in the world is it? Who is this man that's stopping a funeral procession? That's not normal behavior. <clears throat> so I'll tell you a, a story. Down the street from the house I grew up in lived a, a man named Mr. Johnson. I was a child, right? So I never even knew what his first name was. We called him Mr. Johnson. But he had this really unusual hobby. He, he would take these, these broken and dilapidated World War I era airplanes and he would actually rebuild them. At any given time, he'd have his garage door open and, and you'd see there hanging in his garage was a portion of a plane, maybe just uh, a wing to a plane in the middle section or there'd be an engine stacked up in there somewhere. Uh, and, and that's the way it would be. And, and he'd invite us in where we could see it and watch him work on this thing. Uh, and a single plane would actually take a couple years, which as a child seemed like, what's the point? That's forever. Uh, but in the end, he'd take this whole old plane and he'd bring it back to life. We, we never got to, to see one fly because we weren't quite near the airport where it all got put together. But, but he'd come back and he, he'd show us these pictures of here's what the plane looks like now, but it's all back together. And you're looking at it and you never would have guessed that this thing was ever in the terrible condition it was in when he brought it in. He'd fly these planes for a while, and, and then he'd sell them, and he'd do it again. And, and we were all so impressed that, that Mr. Johnson, who could bring life back to these old dead planes. But they're just machines, right? It, that was impressive, but what we're seeing Jesus do here is, is not just greatly more impressive. It, it speaks to the unrivaled power uh, of Jesus in the universe. The, the only one who can bring life to a dead body. 
You remember last week, we, we talked a little about the authority of Jesus uh, uh, and his word, rather, right? We saw last week that just how powerful he is. And, and here he is, right? He's talking to a dead body. And he, and he says to this dead body, he says, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, listen, you can take me up on this offer, any of you. You're going to look nuts doing it, but you absolutely can. You can go to Sunset Cemetery, right, over on Sunset Drive. And you can walk through the cemetery and you can say these exact same words to anyone in there. To every grave, I tell you to arise and I guarantee you that nothing's going to happen. Not a single thing besides you looking ridiculous. Because you're not Jesus. Because your words don't carry that sort of power. Right? You would seem crazy doing that to anyone watching. That's how Jesus looked at this moment. These people in the middle of a funeral and some guy stops it. And telling the dead body, young man, I say to you, arise. But then something miraculous happens. We see it there in verse 14. And the, and the dead man sat up and began to speak. He's alive. The weeping widow sees the cause of all of her sorrow vanish and be replaced by her son living. All that happens in the presence of Christ. He, my, my curiosity often wonders about this boy. What in the world did he say? Like, Luke, why didn't you record this? Write this down. What did he say? I guess it might have just been something mundane. Like, why am I out here? Who wrapped me in a sheet? Mom, why are you crying? What's going on? I mean, you don't know what he says, but he's speaking. You know, we're not, we're not told. I guess we don't need to know that. But it's an amazing event that happens here. Remember, as humans, we can only die in body. That's it. Because our souls continue to live. And in other words, the man's soul was in the place of the dead at this moment. It's away from his body in death. And Jesus has the power to call his soul back. And he reunites his soul with his body in this moment. Right? He makes his heart begin to beat again and blood to go through his veins. He makes his, his lungs to start taking oxygen again. And breathe again. So many little things have to happen to bring this body back to life. And, and Jesus does it all with his mere words. It's this amazing event because we, we see this collision, right? From out of the city comes this funeral, comes this dead body, comes this mourning of the death of a young man. And from the other direction comes Jesus. And we see this collision in this, right? Of death and, and Jesus just collide. And, and Jesus in every sense literally stops death in its tracks and brings about life. If, if that's not a picture of the gospel, I don't know what is. The, the same power that Jesus uses to give life to this man physically, he, he also uses to give life to those who are spiritually dead in their sins. And that power is uniquely his. If your faith is in Jesus today, if that's your faith, that power is what has redeemed your soul for being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And really, this should give us incredible hope, Right? Because how many of us have, have loved ones and friends who are, are unconverted, who, who are lost, that, that seem so spiritually dead that you've given up hope that there's any chance of life? And we know that in Christ, it doesn't matter how dead someone is. He can bring about life, spiritual life. 
Now, the resurrection of this man, it, it differs from Jesus' resurrection. It's an important distinction here, right? It also differs from the future resurrection that we look forward to at the last day for all who have faith in Christ. Because eventually this man died again, right? This wasn't his ultimate resurrection. Also, when Jesus rose from the dead, he has this glorious, a mortal body, just like we will have at the final resurrection. But this man merely returned to his old body, right? He merely returned back to a world that is still filled with sin, and so they're different. And even though these differences, though, we, 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 we should, we'd be foolish to not see this as a small preview of, of Jesus' later resurrection, which, which becomes the promise, right? We, we say that it, it's the proof of concept, if you will, for our own eternal resurrection. You see, Jesus is our only hope in a life that will inevitably end in death. So Christian, don't... Don't let the gospel become mundane knowledge. I think that's one of the, the saddest things that happens to us. We, if you came to faith that, you know, in your life, there's a moment of excitement. And then it starts to become this, this mundane, uh, uninteresting, just general information kind of thing for us. Continue to marvel at the gospel because of Jesus' death and resurrection. If our faith is in Jesus, our sins are paid for and forgiven. And that's the reality. That's true. Thus, our, our souls will be received into Christ's presence. And on the last day, our bodies will be resurrected. Our souls will be reunited to a transformed and glorious eternal flesh. What a day that will be. Now, can, can you, we don't think about this in our everyday life. But can you imagine that? What, what a day that will be. A body that no longer hurts, that no longer has disease. A, a desire that no longer even feels the temptation to sin. The presence of Christ there before us. All these things we look forward to. And yet in our, our passage today, long before that day, we, we, we see compassion-filled mercy as Jesus gives this, this young man back to his mother. The two of them are reunited in joy, which, which again points us to a, a, another blessing of the gospel. Because not only in the resurrection are we going to come face to face with our wonderful Savior in a, in a more tangible way than we've experienced thus far. But we're, we're going to be reunited with our loved ones who also trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's okay to be excited about that. I don't know how many people are kind of afraid to say that because we're only supposed to care that Jesus is there. We are supposed to care that Jesus is there. But you're also going to be reunited with so many brothers in Christ that have been lost. And it's okay to be excited about that. I, I can't wait to see my grandma and my grandpa who are dead. I can't wait to see them again. I, I miss them dearly. I, I can't wait to actually meet my great-grandfather who was in the faith and died before I was born. I, I look forward to that. That's okay. The last thing we see in our passage here is a, a tremendous change of tone in this procession. What a, what a right turn. What do you call it? A 180 degree turn here. This group of mourners are coming out and some guy stops them, brings the boy back to life. And suddenly they're all filled with, rather than mourning, they're filled with fear. 
They're, they're filled with worship and glorifying God, right? They're, they're filled with fear there. That's not like some horror movie type fear. They're, you know, but in complete awe because they're seeing the power of Jesus. And they're just overwhelmed with the miracle they've just witnessed. They're overwhelmed with the glorious joy of the reunion of this widow and this, and this son who they both know and care about. I mean, can you imagine how you'd feel if you just watched this event unfold? And as they're praising God, they, they say there in verse 16, a, a great prophet has risen among us. And it might be because this story is so similar to when uh, the prophet Elijah restored the son, the, uh, the son of a widow in 1 Kings 17. Very, very similar. But, but remember, Elijah does it through prayer. He, he's asking God to actually do it. While Jesus does it by his own power, his own authority as a member of the Trinity. They also may say this because really it's the highest title they know how to give somebody. A great prophet has risen. We have no better title than that. And they don't fully understand who Jesus is. They don't know he's the son of God yet. They don't understand that the second person of the Trinity is standing there before them. So they use that title. They also say this phrase that summarizes the incarnation, right? The, the life and the ministry of Jesus so well. They say that God has visited his people. They only knew in that moment how accurate they are. God has visited his people. And so then the name of Jesus spreads as these people tell the story of what, what Jesus did in their presence. And, and the name of, you know, the fame of Jesus is still spreading today. Uh, most of you know I didn't grow up in the, in the church, but I, I remember knowing who Jesus was, right? I'd see pictures of him around. I'd, I'd see things at Christmas time that talked about him. I had this idea of, of who Jesus was. I knew he was famous long before I knew any real information about him. Very long before I, I knew him as my personal savior through faith. Brothers and sisters, we, we need to talk about Jesus more. It's not easy, but we need to. We're, we're witnesses right? We're witnesses to the stories of people coming to faith and their lives being changed. We're witnesses to seeing people find new life in Christ. We've seen the power of Christ to bring spiritual life to people who are dead in their sins. We've seen the Lord redeem broken marriages. We've seen the Lord work in our lives and the lives of those around us in countless ways. Let's tell those stories so that the fame of Jesus would spread by the lips of those who have been witness to what Christ has done. So that by those who have been made spiritually alive by the power of Jesus. One more thing and we'll be done this morning. From, from time to time, someone will ask me skeptically, right? Um, but, but not, I don't mean this meanly. There's just this earnest frustration when they ask this. It's about the goodness of God. Something along the lines of, if God's so good like you say, why doesn't he do something about disease and death why didn't he do something about children with leukemia about world wars and starving why didn't he just do something about all the suffering in the world if he's so good in this passage we, we see Jesus have compassion on this widow whose, whose life's just been ripped apart right that's, that's the micro of what's going on in this moment and and Jesus does something about it in her life. 
All the while preparing to do something about sin, which is the cause of all the suffering in the world. Jesus does do something about sin. And for all who are united to Christ by grace through faith, you know, the cross wasn't just posturing. It was effectively and eternally hammering a stake through the heart of sin. In other words, yes, we still experience the awfulness of sin today. But Jesus has done something about suffering and death. He's done something only Jesus could do. He's going to wipe it out completely. We we can rejoice in that. I want to end with just a short quote here from J.C. Ryle. He says, The Prince of Peace is stronger than the King of Terrors. And though death, the last enemy, is mighty, he is not so mighty as our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, your Son is wonderful. That he would come to dwell among a planet full of sin and full of sinners is a great mystery to my mind. But it gives great gratitude to my heart and to my soul. Lord, we still experience the pain of death, even the fear of death, the sadness of death as it comes for those we love. But in the gospel, we know that death is not the end of life. It's the beginning of eternal life with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ from all ages. Lord, give us comforting assurance of of a future because of your great compassion and your great work for us upon the cross. Lord, make the gospel real to our hearts as we walk through a world filled with suffering. You are glorious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.